when I was getting my master's degree, I would be asked the question all the time, what topic, what issue would you never ever be willing to work with? They wanted us to manifest our insecurities to ourselves so that we could tell <clears throat> what we would deal with, what we wouldn't deal with, and understand where we would have to say no if a client came in. And I looked at all of the issues that were presented to me and most of them I'd already dealt with because of my bachelor's degree. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand about my specific degree is that a music therapy degree, you can practice in the mental health world with a bachelor's. You just can't do private practice. So I worked at a lot of facilities with my music therapy degree. I was board certified and I did a lot that way before I went back to get my master's so that I could do private practice. So I'd already dealt with, oh, the big five, first of all, and uh, the depression, bipolar, schizophrenic, schizoaffective, and mania. I'd already dealt with those, and I'd already dealt with people being suicidal, and I'd already worked at an alternative high school with the gangbangers and the druggies, and I'd already worked with drug dealers and pimps and prostitutes. I mean, there were very few people I hadn't worked with already, so when they're asking me, what are you not willing to to work with, I'm thinking, well, what's left? Now, as I am studying a lot of sexual deviancy, I realize that I don't ever want to work with pedophiles. There's a thing called a recidivism rate. Uh, recidivism means the uh, chance that you will repeat offend. Uh, when a person gets put in jail or prison, their sentence is supposed to be partially based upon this recidivism rate. So if you have a serial killer, it's pretty good that they're going to repeat offend because they've shown that they will. So you look at that recidivism rate and you say, well, I'm not letting them out for a very, very long time because they will repeat offend. A pedophile has a 100% recidivism rate, meaning that if you're a pedophile, you will always continue being a pedophile. We have not found any way to help stop pedophiles from repeat offending. And that is something that I'm not willing to work with. If you can't help it in any way, and they are doing that much damage all the time, I'm not going to deal with that. Because it's kind of a waste of my time, it's a waste of their time, so I'm not interested. So every time this question would come up, I would say, I won't work with pedophiles. I won't work with uh, people who commit sexual crimes against minors either. Just because you have done sexual abuse does not automatically make you a pedophile. So there are varying levels that you have to go on before you hit the extreme of 100% recidivism. So a few years back when I was running my own counseling agency, I had a, an adult come in and he was talking to me about his young kids and he said, we know that their older siblings have sexually abused them, but 
we think it's happening again. So I said, you know, bring them in. I'll talk to them. I'll see what's going on. Well, yes, the older brother was absolutely hurting all of his younger siblings again, and it was trickling on down. Uh, the younger siblings were starting to hurt each other also. And I went to the dad and I said, look, I will not counsel pedophiles, but I will counsel your son. And he said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? And I said, because I want to see what he is doing and what he is planning. If I counsel him, I can keep your younger kids safe. So I will bring him into my office. I will talk to him. Do not think that I'm going to be able to help him because I won't. But this is how we can keep your younger kids safe. So this is the first time that I allowed a pedophile to come into my office. And I wasn't doing it for the pedophile. I was doing it for his victims. But he came into my office and I'd worked with victims of pedophiles before and they'd shown me pictures of their abuser and all of these pedophiles they have a look I call it the pedophile look it isn't in their demeanor it's in their eyes and the younger brother he would sit there and he would tell me that his older brother would terrify him and would threaten him with violence and uh, if he said anything, if he didn't let him hurt him. And, and I would tell the parents that this was going on. And the parents are like, they're always joking and playing and everything. And we don't understand where he's coming from. And that 18-year-old came and he sat down. And as I got talking to him, he didn't like what I was saying. And he took his glasses off and he leaned forward and he gave me the look. And I went, oh, that's the pedophile look. So when the younger brother came into my office the next time, I said, I've seen the look. That's how he threatens you, isn't it? And he said, yeah, that's it. So there is, you can line up but every single pedophile uh, on the planet and they all have the look. In fact, one of our abuse refugees that we have, she was at the store and we, uh, one of the main traffickers, Charles Pipkin, he was at the store also. And this abuse refugee uh, that we have, she had never seen him before. But her dad, like I said, is a trafficker. And so she's been around pedophiles and traffickers her whole life. And she came to me and she said, Mandy, I've never, ever seen Charles Pipkin before ever, not before this. And I turned around and I looked at him and he looked just like my dad. And I said, yeah, they have a look. So how can you, the average person who's never had to be victimized by a pedophile or sold by a trafficker or hurt by any of these people, figure out what that look is? My suggestion is that you go and you find, um, there was a show, uh, it starred Benjamin Bratt many years ago. He would go around and he would arrest these uh, sexual deviants. And you can kind of see the look there. So I would start with the TV shows. I would start watching the documentaries and just kind of look at them. So, you know, you find these people that you know are traffickers 
and you go up and you look at their social media presence. I told you they love Facebook. They love TikTok. Uh, some of them do have YouTube channels. Uh, some of them have been arrested before or have done interviews for their causes before. And you can go and you can look at their interviews or their arrest pictures and you can see that look and you start comparing that look with people who don't have it and you will start figuring it out. Uh, I told you before, go on Derek Morrell's page, Facebook page. Uh, you know, what's interesting is he's got himself a new girlfriend, Juliet Peterson. And if you look at them together, they're actually developing the same look. That's quite terrifying, I think, because Juliet used to be lost and clueless, but she wasn't evil and bad. But, you know, you get hooked up with these people and you start... Uh, hanging out with them and believing them and supporting them and defending them. And you start looking like them because you start becoming like them. So I just told you that all pedophiles have the same look. Well, great. How can I tell if it's a trafficker? Hey, you have three degrees of people going on here. You have the abusers, you have the pedophiles, and then you have the traffickers. Not all abusers sexual or otherwise, are pedophiles and traffickers. Not all pedophiles are traffickers. <laughs> all traffickers are pedophiles and abusers. So how can you tell if it's a trafficker? There is a way that they talk. They are so careful about what they say, but not in the way that you would think. They brag about the weirdest things. And you're over here listening going, why would you brag about that? That doesn't sound like something I would brag about. Uh, well, they're doing that because it they think it throws you off guard and you won't dig any deeper and ask any more questions. Uh, we have the mayor of our town. He's actually part of the trafficking organization. Uh, Stephen Staley, and he, I had to meet with him and another member of the trafficking organization, Charles Piper, at the same time. And I kept saying that the Pipkins were bad. They're bad, and they're hurting my family, and they're threatening my family. And these two both kept looking at each other and would not say that that was wrong. They just kind of said, oh, well, you know, there's really nothing that we can do. We just don't know how to help you because, you know, we just, you can't force people to do the right thing. And um, uh, okay, but you can tell them they're doing the wrong thing, especially since uh, Charles Pipkin is on the city council and he now works for the city as a crossing guard. Both of both those positions, and Charles brags about this, were given to him by Stephen Staley, the mayor. So if the mayor is over here giving Charles all of these callings and positions that allow him to be around minors and be in power and control, then yeah, you really can tell him to stop. It's not okay. Uh, Staley and Piper are also uh, religious leaders in our town. 
and they have the ability to put some checks and balances on people in the church, in the church, the local church here. And they are refusing to do that too. And I remember very distinctly, uh, Stephen Staley looked right at me and the look in his eyes was so interesting when he said, oh, believe me, I keep my friends close and my enemies closer. And I didn't get the feeling that he was talking about Charles Pipkin. It looked very much like he was informing me that he was keeping an eye on me. Now, when you hear more of his part in the story, you'll see that, yeah, I'm right. He was keeping an eye on me. He was part of the organization that was trying to uh, get rid of me financially. So there are different parts of this where they, uh, there are several trafficking organizations that actually kind of combined in a very weird way because that's not usually how you do. You don't usually cross borders in the trafficking realm because people don't like to give up power. But they did under these circumstances and everyone had their job, their way that they were supposed to get rid of me. And Stephen was supposed to get rid of me uh, through the financial aspect. He was supposed to drive us to financial ruin, starve us. So, And he even told me, he said, um, you know, I can't help you unless you sell your house, sell your car and move away. Like, well, if we're moved, then how are you supposed to be helping us? Exactly, right? He has made sure that we don't get any food. He won't give a single member who lives in my house, be it relative or not. We don't have to be related. I have some strangers who live in my house. Uh, well, you know, they're, they're not related to me. One of them is a single mom with a young child. And she went and asked for some food. And Stephen told her, no, nope, we don't do that. Uh, my husband is incredibly sick and does not get out of bed very easily. And he asked Stephen for some food and Stephen just ignored him. He just blew him off, would not even respond to him. Now, when you're saying, okay, but why are you going to them for food? Well, because Derek and the Pipkins and uh, Michelle Morell, Derek's mom, they have all tried to make sure that we cannot promote our business, that we can't make any money from our business. Derek has been making sure that I cannot make any money for actually several years now. And our church, our local church has a very good welfare system where if anybody needs food, there is always food available. And it doesn't matter if you're a member of the local church or not. We have an amazing humanitarian welfare system where all you have to do is go to any leader in the at the local church and say, I'm starving and they will help you get food. So when you have people who are actually members of the local church and uh, practice the local religion going to the leaders and saying, we need food and they go, yeah, no. No, that's not going to happen. Then you know that they are doing that on purpose and they are trying to get rid of us in any way that they can. 
I actually dropped to a huge weight uh, weight loss. They were trying to starve me out. And Derek knew that he'd been in my house before and he knew that I had some eating issues and he knew that it's hard for me to keep weight on. And so if I didn't have food and I had a lot of stress, that I would drop weight very quickly and get into the dangerous range um, without any problems. I'd had that personal conversation with Derek before. So he knew all about that medical issue that I had. Now you're probably going, Mandy, how in the world has Derek managed to make sure that you don't make any money for several years? I mean, come on, that seems a little bit ridiculous. Well, yeah, it does, unless you look at it. So I'll let you look at it, okay? Uh, I started seeing Derek and his wife I saw them individually, and I saw them as a couple. They were not doing well as a couple. They were on the verge of divorce, and they hadn't actually been married a full year yet. So I was, I don't believe in throwing marriage away until you have tried absolutely everything that you can try, and if it doesn't work, then you can say it's not working. Uh, so I was giving them all these ways that they could try. Now, in the process of this, Derek, all of a sudden became my greatest fan. I mean, he was fangirling like crazy. He would take piles of my business cards and carry them around with him. And just his wife would tell me, he, he passes them out to everybody. He says, everybody needs to come see Mandy. Everybody needs to come see Mandy. It was over the top where he was pushing me on all of his friends and I was getting referrals. So it made it look like he was actually really helping me and helping my business. And he really wanted me to see all of his friends and help all of his friends. Now, there are a couple of his friends who I did help and were sincere in wanting help. And I'm really glad that they found their way to me. However, the majority of them would show up and I don't believe that uh, money comes before people. Now, that's the opposite of what traffickers believe. They believe that money comes before everything and people are nothing, right? But I will never put money above people. So if I have a client who is struggling to pay, I will work with them as long as they keep trying and they don't take advantage of me. Well, I tell all of my clients, this is my philosophy. So if you are having financial difficulty, talk to me. I will work with you. As my uh, clientele list got packed more and more and more with Derek's people, all of Derek's people were in financial ruin and none of them could pay me. But they were working really, really hard and trying really, really hard. I had one uh, person who owed me $7,000. And Derek actually pretended to write a letter to the state of Utah because um, this client had complained about me asking for her to pay what she owed me. And Derek 
pretended to write this letter in solidarity support of me because I deserve to be paid and uh, it, <laughs> it did not work well. So that part was a little bit confusing. Why would he write a letter? Yeah, why would he? Because he needed to look like he was on my side. He had to put that persona first or I was going to stop doing what I was doing, right? Derek sent me another client who owed me $15,000. And when I told him, you know, you're not paying me, I was seeing four members of his family, uh, this one client. And I finally came to him and I said, you have got to start paying me. I've got four slots. I'm doing four hours a week with you and your family and you're not paying me anything. And he came and he said, well, I'll set up a payment plan. I will give you $25 a month until I pay it off. I'm like $25 a month. So nothing. And I found out later that he and Derek were emailing back and forth going, ha ha, she thinks I'm going to pay. And she came and she said, no, you're going to pay me $1,000 a month until you pay off what you owe me. She thinks I'm actually going to do it. Well, and as Derek had already gone to the Consumer Protection Association in Utah and done his little damage that he was going to do with this other client, uh, I couldn't go to them and say, I'm not being paid because they were already threatening that if I dared to ask anybody to pay me for my services, that they were going to put a felony on my record and shut me down. Derek had a hand in that. I know that um, the people around him say, how? Because he was writing letters to those people. He was communicating with them. He was talking to them about what I was doing. And he was making sure that if I dared to ask anybody to pay for my services, that he would give insider information about what he uh, the lies that he would push and I would not be able to be paid. So I had several of these clients, uh, probably about 10. So if you look at the amount of money that I was going to actually make, you know, would be a livable income. Uh, my husband, he's been sick for years and we only had his disability. I was working on starting a new business and I will get into how Derek and his people and the Pipkins and Stephen Staley and Charles Piper uh, made sure that we were not able to make any money on this new business, that we were not allowed to advertise, um, that how they were trying to attack our business and destroy our business and and hurt us in the process. I will do that in another uh, podcast because it's a lot of information. Uh, but it kind of morphed into that. And so basically the traffickers were trying to make sure that we couldn't live. So if we are not working on 
getting our basic needs met, then I don't have time to go after them. And they can attack and they can destroy and they can do all of their stuff and there's nothing I can do to retaliate. This is their strategy. So they will take you down in any way that they possibly can. Like I said in the opening podcast, they do not care what they do to you. They do not care what laws they break to do it. They do not see people as people and they lost their humanity a long time ago. They don't care about anybody but themselves. That even holds true if they're quote unquote related, you know, like you have the mother son situation going on with Michelle and Derek and you've got Rachel and Charles who are married (laughs) Yeah, on paper only. And then we actually have another one. Her name is Annie, and she is Rachel's sister. So you have these supposed solid connections, and then they all act like they're friends. But I guarantee you, the second that one of them starts getting into trouble, they throw everybody else under the bus, and they could care less about what happens to them. It is a save yourself first type organization. So how does all of this information help you understand how to see a pedophile, right? Well, I started at the beginning telling you that they have a script, that they say certain things and they just keep with those things. Uh, So when I'm talking about how Stephen Staley is trying, along with Derek, his job was to create financial ruin for us. Every single time I talk to... Stephen Staley and tell him that we need help, he responds the exact same way every single time. I'm so, so busy. Get back to me. And then he ghosts us. All right. So every time you go to Derek and dare to ask money, it's, you just want to steal money from me. And I am owed way more than what I have given you. So you need to give it back. That's his big thing. Or look at everything that I have done for you, Mandy. Look at all of the clients that I have sent your way. Yeah, that have drained me dry. I see them, Derek. It's not helpful. Okay, so when you are looking, I told you that they say weird things and you kind of look at them and go, what are you talking about? Um, Stephen Staley is the one of the local church leaders. And I went into him with a meeting and he said, I want to know what your plan is. And I said, well, I don't know yet, but I believe in God. And so my plan is to try and follow what God says. And Staley says, following God is not a plan. Um, all right. So if the Pope is giving his Easter Sunday address and he stands up and you have all these thousands of Catholics who have come to hear him in Vatican City and he says over, um, you know, over the loudspeaker that he's speaking through, he says, so just so you know, following God is not a plan. What would you think? You would be like, "Uh, what religion did I just step into? Every single religion teaches that following God is a plan. Even if you don't call God, God, if you call God Allah, if you call God, uh, 
Oh, Buddha. Sorry. <laughs> Brain cramp. Uh, if you call, it doesn't matter what you call your God. If you are in a religion, following your God is a plan. So to have one of your religious leaders say, that's not a plan, that comes across very, very weird. Now, when I told him, another religious leader that he had said that, he just looked at me like, well, it probably isn't a very good plan. Like, so I've got two religious leaders here telling me that following God is not a plan. Um, I'm a little concerned because you're supposed to be our spiritual leaders and guide us. And if you're claiming that you don't want to follow God, then I think I'm in the wrong religion because I want to follow God, right? So that comes across as very, very weird. All right. Now, Charles Pipkin, he has, I, I, he's in his 70s. So he's been giving this story over and over and over again for, I would say he probably started this in his 20s. Uh, I'm sure that he started abusing siblings and neighbor girls when he was younger. Uh, but he started doing the pedophile stuff in his 20s. So you meet him and some of the first things that he told me when he met me was that he had been married three times and his first wife actually didn't want to marry him. He, she wanted to marry his brother, but his brother, uh, sorry, she wanted a lot of kids and his brother didn't. So instead of marrying his brother, she married him because he was willing to have all the kids that she wanted to have. Are, are you feeling a little weird right now? Because that is where you should go, wait a second, who does that? Now, Charles brags that he has 17 kids that we know of. Uh, out of these 17 kids, none of them speak to him. None of them want to have anything to do with him. None of them come and they don't have these big family reunions. All right. Now, here's another thing that, and this is where Rachel starts coming into the picture here. Charles will talk about his second wife because this is, his second wife had twins, a boy and a girl, and she was such a horrible mother that he got full custody of these twins. And Rachel comes in with her part of the story and says, and I wanted them so much that I made sure I adopted them. So, you know, this is her part of the story. She says that over and over and over again. Now, I have all kinds of information and proof that both Charles and Rachel are abusive, hurt their kids, are sexually abusive, have trafficked their kids. And you don't have a whole lot of proof that she, Rachel, actually wanted these twins other than her part of the story is that she wanted them so badly that she made sure that she could adopt them. I told you before, Utah is a mother state, which means the mom has to be pretty much dead or completely abandons the kids 
in order for the dad to get full custody. Now, if the mom abandons the kids, the stepmom still cannot adopt them. The biological mother has to give up her parental rights before anybody can come in and adopt those kids from the biological mother. It's the same thing with the dad. I had a client who uh, the dad was deadbeat and she wanted him out of the picture. And the stepdad was great and wanted to adopt the teenage boy and the boy wanted to be adopted by the dad, but the bio dad would not give up his parental rights and so it never got to happen. All they could do was change the teenage boy's name and request that the bio dad just stay out of the picture, just please don't come around. That's all they could do because he would not give up his parental rights. So you have to understand what kind of effort it takes for parental rights to be given up. And I saw, and I will explain along the way in the, when we talk about the legal system, that Derek learned how to manipulate the legal system from Charles Pipkin. Charles did some wheeling and dealing and got that mom to hate him so much and for her own sanity and her self-preservation, give up those parental rights and run away. She lives, as far as we know, in Mexico. That's how far she had to go to get away from Charles Pipkin and his abuse and his manipulation. And so in comes Rachel and her story, her part of the story is because Charles is like 40 years older than she is when they meet and they're start they're dating. Well, he is now too, but you know, he was 40 years older than she was. And she said, I just knew he was the one for me and I was not going to let him go. So she had to travel several hours to his house because he had the three-year-old twins. They were two at the time, I think. So he had the two-year-old twins and he couldn't travel very far with them. So she drove all the way to his house and he made her pancakes and that's how she knew it was true love. That's the story they tell. Now, you can see gaps. You can see craziness and nonsense and it's just an insane story. Like, okay, I would not travel four, five hours and somebody makes me pancakes and I'm going to get married to them. I would not adopt kids from somebody who was so abusive and manipulative that they drove the biological mother out of the picture. I would not be a part of somebody who brags that they have been married three times. Two by that time, Rachel's the third. I have heard rumors that there's a fourth marriage going on in there. I don't know. But I also know this about Charles. Charles has been arrested for soliciting a minor who was an undercover cop. But nothing happened to him. Charles has been disciplined by 
his religion twice and nothing has happened to him. Charles has been reported so many times, I can't even see straight, and nothing happens to him. So you have to look and say, how in the world does somebody go this long in life doing this many horrible, horrible, evil, bad, vile things, and he's just hanging out, living life, living large? Well, he found the small town where there's no cops and everybody's afraid of him. And he can rule with impunity. And he does. Nobody stops him. The one thing that I'm going to leave you with is that my uh, business partner, when she would talk to people in town about Charles and Rachel, she would come back to me and she would say, Mandy, nobody looks shocked or surprised when I tell them these things. And I say, that's because everybody knows. We are under a thousand people. Everybody knows. But the majority of people here just let it go because we are in the middle of small town nowhere.